0: Well, good morning, everybody. Great to see you in the house today. Are you ready to get into God's Word? All right, get your Bible out. Open up Revelation chapter 13 is where we're going to be today, Revelation chapter 13. And we are about midway through our study of the book of Revelation. And uh, let, let me just say right off at the very beginning here that this is a really challenging Passage. Can I just say that it's a really challenging passage. There are a lot of moving parts going on here. I mean, you're going to see a dragon. You're going to see some beasts. One coming out of the sea. One coming out of the land. They're wreaking havoc. It's going to remind you of a Godzilla versus King Kong uh, movie, all right? And, uh, and and there's just a lot going on here. And you could probably hear this message today. And if you hadn't been in church in a while, you hadn't studied the Book of Revelation, you might leave and go, "Okay, that was a trippin'est, weirdest uh, message I've ever heard." Okay? Uh, But before you get there, let me just remind you, okay? Let me just remind you that what we're studying here is apocalyptic literature. Apocalyptic literature, it's, there are different genres of literature in the Bible. There's narrative, there's historic, historical, there's uh, poetry. But apocalyptic literature is, is, uses a lot of symbols, a lot of imagery, uh, a lot of metaphor in order to paint a very graphic picture of the things that have happened in the past, things that are happening now now. And certainly the things that will happen in the final days. So just keep that in mind as we're walking through this and trying to make sense of what we're reading. That, uh, that this is for a purpose, to paint this graphic picture for us. This chapter has as its focal point a character in the Bible that is known as the Antichrist. So we're going to talk about him. What is he like? What does he do? How do we recognize him? It also speaks about one key event, a a very important key event that when you see this key event, you know that the coming of Jesus is very soon, and so we need to lean in on that and see what that key event is, okay? So, Revelation chapter 13, uh, here we go, pen out, paper out to take notes, uh, mind open, uh, ready to receive uh, from the Lord, all right? Revelation 13, beginning of verse 1. This is the word of God. And I saw a beast coming up out of the sea, and it had ten horns and seven heads. On its horns were ten crowns, and on its head were blasphemous names. And the beast I saw was like a, le- like a leopard, its feet like a bear's, and its mouth was like a lion's mouth. And the dragon gave the beast his power, his throne, and his great authority. Now stop right there for uh, just a minute. Circle the word dragon there you find in, in verse 2. Who is this dragon? Well, we really are introduced to him in chapter 12 chapter 12. If you go back and read chapter 12, you see that the dragon is Satan. And that Satan has tried to kill Jesus. Even at his birth, he tried to kill Jesus. But of course, Jesus has ascended up to the right hand of the Father. And so he cannot kill uh, Jesus. And so it describes this cosmic battle of Satan and his demons against Michael the archangel and the angels in heaven. And this cosmic battle. And Satan is thrown to the earth. Now, What's interesting is that Jesus actually talks about this. In Luke chapter 10, verse 18, it says, I watched Satan fall from heaven like lightning. Just to think about that, that Jesus saw this happen. This cosmic battle took place. And now that Satan is on the earth, he's angry, right? And if he can't kill Christ, then he'll he'll kill Christians, and if he can't kill uh, the Messiah, then he'll follow the followers. He'll kill the followers of the Messiah. And so this really helps explain for us the hostility toward Christians. I don't know about you, but you know, growing up, I was like, well, who would hate a Christian, man? I mean, it's all about God's grace and mercy and goodness and Jesus died for me and God so loved me. And, and you know, who, who hates that message? But of course, now I'm a little older and I've come to understand that really what's behind the hostility toward believers is a spiritual battle. We have a spiritual enemy that hates Christ and hates Christ's followers. The Apostle Paul talks about this in Ephesians 6, verse 12. He said, for our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers of this darkness, against evil spiritual forces in the heavens. That's the dragon. And this dragon is going after God's people. But he's not going to do it directly. He's going to do it through two beasts that we meet here in chapter 13, okay? So the first beast we just read about, this first beast, he comes up out of the sea. Uh, Another version says he comes out of the abyss. He comes out of the sea. And and look at him. He's he's an odd-looking creature. He's got seven heads. He has ten horns and ten crowns. He looks like a leopard. He has the feet of a bear. He has got the mouth of a lion. Okay, that's just even hard to kind of envision. What does all that mean? Now, remember at the very beginning, I told you that that many times uh, the, the mysteries of Revelation are unlocked with keys from the Old Testament. Remember that? And so if you go back To Daniel chapter 7. Daniel was a a prophet that lived, a Jewish man, lived in captivity in Babylon 700 years prior to the book of Revelation, almost 800 years prior to the book of Revelation written. He had a vision of heaven too. He had a vision of end times too. And so there's a lot of correlation in end times back to Daniel. You'll even see Jesus referring back to Daniel in just a little bit. And Daniel had a vision of beasts as well. And beasts coming out of the sea as well. And one of them looked like a leopard. And one of them looked like a bear. And one of them looked like a lion. And one of them looked like some other creature with iron teeth. All right. So you can begin to see there's a correlation here between John's vision and Daniel's vision. Now what we know in interpreting Daniel is that each one of these beasts represented kingdoms. Or empires. One represented the Babylonian Empire. One the Medo-Persian Empire. One the, the, the Grecian Empire. One the Roman Empire. And so if we understand that, then we can understand that this beast that that, that John is seeing in Revelation 13 represents a an evil empire or a political uh, power that is inspired and fueled by Satan himself to destroy God's people. All right, so just hit the pause button for just a minute. What I just said, we've seen this beast before, okay? We've seen this beast before, an evil uh, political state that wants to kill God's people. We've seen this before, I'm sure the original recipients of the book of Revelation, I told you, was a letter. There were Christians. They were under persecution. They're like, I know who that is, <laughs> right? Rome, right? That means these guys were literally being persecuted mercilessly for sport. He's like, I know exactly what that beast is capable of. But we've also seen this beast roaring throughout history. Anytime there is a political power seeking to destroy God's people and destroy God's word, uh, that is a, an, a sense of this beast that's coming Uh, This beast that's roaring throughout history, we've seen him in Europe, we've seen him in communism, we see him even today, Uh, but this beast finds its full expression and its final expression in one political power led by one satanic leader that we call the Antichrist. Now, what is this Antichrist going to be like? What is he going to be like? Is he gonna, you know, have a red suit on with horns, you know, and a pitchfork? Probably not. All right, but this description here tells us uh, in Revelation thirteen a little bit about what he will be like. Uh, so if you're taking notes, jot this down. He will be mysterious. Look at verse three. He'll be mysterious. He said, "One of its heads appeared to be fatally wounded, but its fatal wound was healed." And the whole earth was amazed and followed the beast. And they worshiped the dragon because he gave authority to the beast. And they worshiped the beast saying, who is like the beast? Who is able to wage war against it? So notice that it says one of the heads of the beast. Remember it had seven heads. One of the heads begins to emerge as unique than the others. And it has a mortal wound. You're going to see this repeated throughout in several other, ver- uh, other passages. It's like this, this leader, we know the heads were seven leaders, we know this from later on in Revelation, I believe it's chapter 17, talks about the heads or leaders, that this leader was mortally wounded and yet somehow was miraculously resurrected. Right? Was mortally wounded and yet somehow miraculously healed. So much so that it caused all the people to be amazed. Now I just want you to stop and think about the mockery of this. Right, Here's a leader, uh, supposed to be a savior kind of person. Who has a fake uh, death and a fake resurrection. And you just see the mockery of this image. Supposed to be like Christ but he's not Christ. Uh, this is why I think John calls him the Antichrist. In 1 John 4, 3, he's called the Antichrist. Anti, meaning not only against Christ, but also anti, as in another Christ. See, the world didn't want Jesus, the real Savior, but they will want this guy. They don't want Jesus who died and rose again. They're going to want this fraud who promises to be their savior, and the whole world will go after him. The whole world will cry out, "Who is like the beast?" No one can stand against him. He will rise to great power. So he'll be mysterious—that's for sure. He'll also be blasphemous. Look at verse five. It says the beast was given a mouth to utter boast and blasphemies. It was allowed to exercise authority for 42 months, underline that. And it began to speak blasphemies against God, to blaspheme his name, his dwelling, and those who dwell in heaven. So not only is he mysterious, but he hates God and he speaks blasphemies against God. We see this in Daniel 7 verse 8, Daniel 11 verse 36 and 37. Some people think that he is an eloquent speaker, a powerful speaker. He'll be able to hold a crowd in the palm of his hands. But what comes out of his mouth is hate. Hate against God and hate against God's people. He blasphemes the name of God, the place of God, and the people of God. Now, I want you to notice here, though, it says that he does this for 42 months. Now, anytime you see in the book of Revelation a, a reference to months or weeks or even days, I want you to write out in the margin of your Bible, God limits the time. God limits the time. Yes, he's allowed for a, only a period of time, and then his, his time will come to an end. You know, in uh, in Revelation chapter 6, we see these uh, believers that have been martyred for their faith uh, in this persecution season and they're crying out, Lord, how long? How much longer will you allow this to go on? And he's like, putting them aside. Hey, there's when the certain time is right, the hammer's gonna come down. And you know what? You may be praying the same thing. Lord, I don't know how long I'm gonna make it through this hardship. How long will this go on in my life? This trial that I'm walking through. How long? Listen, God, always limits the time. He is sovereign. He's in control. Satan is like a dog on a leash. He can only go so far and not one step further. And when his time is up, he will come to a swift and complete end. God limits the time. He also, jot this down, he will be murderous. Not only blasphemous, but murderous. Look at verse 7. And it was permitted to wage war against the saints and to conquer them. And it was also given authority over every tribe, people, language, and nation. These hateful words will turn to murderous acts. And his focus, his fixation will be on whom? Look at verse 7. Who is he going to go after? Who is he going to persecute? The saints. See that? The saints. Now, of course, saints uh, refer to followers of Jesus. Romans 1, 7, 1 Corinthians uh, 1, 2. Uh, Saints. Uh, This doesn't mean like, you know, uh, uh, special people that have done a miracle. No, all of us are are, are saints in Christ Jesus. We've been made new, set apart for his purpose. And that is who this, this beast will go after. Why? Why is he going after these people? What have they done to him? Remember chapter 12. Satan hates Christ and he hates Christians. And he will go after the offspring of Jesus, which are followers of Jesus. You know, I just came back from Montreal uh, a couple of weeks ago, and we were talking with our church planters there, and, and they were telling us, they said, you know, the whole, the whole government here, all the, all, all the business, all of education is just bought into this ideology that is very far from God's word, and because we are not... Uh, promoting those things, he said, we are really pushed to the margins. He said, we can't even put a flag outside of the building that we're meeting to say our church is meeting there for fear that someone is going to complain against us and we're gonna lose our lease and and we have to operate in almost obscurity. Well, what we're seeing in small portion there, uh, you will see in greater portion in the future. He will be murderous and fixating on of followers of Jesus. And not only will they be murderous, but he will also be uh, idolatrous. Look at verse eight. And all those who lived on the earth will worship it. Everyone whose name was not written from the foundation of the world in the book of life of the lamb who was slaughtered. Notice the phrase, all who live on the earth. This represents the massive scope of the influence of this leader. All who live on the earth will be under his influence. But it also stands in great contrast, all who live on the earth to those whose names are written in the Lamb's Book of Life. The Lamb's Book of Life is the heavenly registry of all those in Christ Jesus. And so really what you're beginning to see here is is from heaven's perspective, people are really in two categories. Those who belong to Jesus and those who do not. Those who follow Jesus and those who do not. Those who uh, identify and are loyal and devoted to Jesus and those who are not. And this distinction will become even more severe in the days ahead. So this is the beast, the first beast that comes up out of the ground, the, uh, out, of the, out of the sea, the Antichrist. Uh, that is to come. But now there's a second beast also that comes. Look at verse 11, chapter 13, verse 11. And when I saw, uh, then I saw another beast coming up out of the earth, and it had two horns like a lamb, but it spoke like a dragon. Now stop right there. Here's another beast. This one comes out of the earth, not out of the sea. And, and he, he looks like a lamb, that is, he looks... Peaceful, docile, positive, good, Uh, but yet his voice is like the dragon, right? He looks peaceful and good and benevolent, but his voice, he is satanically influenced, just like the first beast. And this second beast isn't in competition with the first. In fact, the second beast just promotes the first one, just promotes him, promotes him, and causes the whole world to worship the first beast. In fact, uh, if the first beast is political power, this second beast is religious power. In fact, he's called in Revelation 19, verse 20, the false prophet, which is another term used for the one who leads this world religion, and he uses signs and wonders, even calling fire down from heaven, which is reminiscent of Elijah on Mount Carmel, uh, to, to deceive people and cause them to worship this beast. You know, political power has always used religion to galvanize popular opinion. And whenever you find a state promoting godless ideologies, you will also find religious institutions supporting and promoting them. Don't let that be a surprise to you. This is exactly what will happen in these days. So you have this this false prophet, this second beast, causing the whole world to worship the beast. Now we're going to come up to an event, a key event that you're gonna see here is significant, the way you need me watching for and looking for that identifies this Antichrist, okay? Look at it with me in verse 14. He says, then it deceived, that is the false prophet, deceived those who lived on the earth because of the signs that it was permitted to perform in the presence of the beast, telling those who live on the earth to make an image of the beast who was wounded by the sword and yet lived, and it was permitted to give breath to the image of the beast so that the image of the beast could speak and cause whoever would not worship the image of the beast to be killed all right now what's going on here well we don't we don't have all the detail okay but what we do know is that this false prophet will set up an image of the beast this Antichrist figure, and and then somehow he's going to be able to animate that image to the degree that the whole world is in wonder and amazement, and everyone is called to worship this beast, and if they do not, they are killed. Now, Jesus actually spoke about this event. In Matthew 24... Verse 15. Remember Matthew 24 is Jesus' teaching on the end times. And remember last week I said, he said there were going to be labor pains coming, all these uh, challenges and problems wars and rumors of wars and desolation and so on. And it's going to be building and growing and growing a greater frequency and intensity. He called those labor pains. And he said, but when you see this event, take note. What is that event? Well, we see it in Matthew 24, verse 15. He said... Um, He said, so when you see the abomination of desolation spoken of by the prophet Daniel standing in the holy place, let the reader understand. All right. So Jesus said, now, when you see this abomination of desolation in the holy place, uh, take note, understand What's happening? So what is an abomination desolate? Well, abomination means something bad, right? Desolation means something that takes something holy and desecrates it. So Jesus said there's going to be something in the holy place that is, that's a reference to the temple in Jerusalem that's going to happen uh, that's going to be bad, and you're, and you're, you're going to recognize it. Now, he said, Daniel told us about this. If you go back to Daniel and you look at what Daniel says, Daniel 9, Daniel 11, Daniel 12, he references it. This is what Daniel says. Daniel says that in the last seven-year period of time before the coming of Jesus, that midway through, that this Antichrist figure will put up an image of himself in the temple and cause people to worship it there in the temple. And that will be a great abomination of desecration. Now, Daniel mentions that at that point, all the sacrifice in the temple will stop, everyone will be required to worship, and those who do not will be killed. The Apostle Paul often speaks about this. He said in 2 Thessalonians 2, verse 4, He said that he, speaking of the Antichrist, he opposes and exalts himself above every so-called God or object of worship so that he sits in God's temple proclaiming that he himself is God. Right? So you've got You've got John saying, something's going to happen in the temple. Man, this image being erected and animated, everyone's going to be called. Jesus said, when you see this abomination, Daniel says, when this thing happens, it's going to be set up in the temple. The apostle Paul goes, man, this guy's going to be in the temple and he's going to call everybody to worship him. Everyone is like speaking about the same thing. Now. You may be thinking, oh, great, this is no big deal, man. Don't worry about this, man. Because you know, the temple was destroyed in 70 AD, man. There's not any temple. Uh, they're not offering sacrifices. You know, this is a long way away, man. There's nothing for us to worry about. Oh, really? Did you know that there is a strong movement right now called the Third Temple Project? Did you know that? Uh, this has been going on for quite some time. It's highly organized in Israel. I've actually been to their main offices where they have manufactured all the instruments needed for sacrifices. They've already manufactured an altar. They've already trained up priests. In fact, priests right now are in training to offer sacrifices again. They already have all the priestly garb for priests to wear to offer up sacrifices. The only thing that's hindered them from doing sacrifices now is that in Leviticus, we're told that you have to have the ashes of a red heifer to to purify these instruments and to purify the process of beginning to build a temple. And there was no red heifer until recently. Did you know two weeks ago in mid-September, a handful of red heifers were delivered from Texas to Israel? And and that has never happened in the last, you know, couple of thousand years. And these red heifers were... uh, acceptable to the rabbis there. And they are even now planning within a year to have an offering of these red heifers and to collect their ashes and to begin the process of reinstating sacrifices in maybe as much as a year from now. That's happening now. So if you're talking about a a temple and you're talking about sacrifices and so on and the antichrist is going to stop it and put his image. This is realistically something that could happen in our lifetime. It could happen in our lifetime. And so how will people respond when this image is set up in this temple and, and people are called to worship and what's going to happen then? Well, look at look at Verse 16. Revelation 13, verse 16, and it makes everyone small and great, rich and poor, free and slave to receive a mark on his right hand or on his forehead so that no one can buy or sell unless he has the mark, the beast's name, or the number of of its name. This calls for for wisdom. Let the one who has understanding calculate the number of the beast because it is the number of a person. Its number is 666. You know, evil always wants to leave a mark, always wants to. Think about all the evil regimes have some kind of symbol or mark that identifies them and your loyalty to it. Just as God uh, seals his people, Satan wants to mark his own people. What is 666? What, What is the meaning of that? Uh, if you were to Google 666, you'd find over 500 million results on that inquiry. All right, so there are a lot of opinions about what 666 actually means. Some spiritualize it and say, "Well, it's not really a symbol. It's not really a mark. It's just an ideology that uh, people will adhere to." But there's no actual thing. Don't worry about that. That's not really going to happen. Uh, that some people say that. Other people uh, speculate on the 666, and uh, they tried to take a number and equate that with a letter of the Greek alphabet or a number and equate it to a letter of the Hebrew alphabet, and then then try to calculate names from that, generate names that would fit a total of 666, and of course, that, that you, know, you could probably get Britney Spears out of that. I don't know, you know, you could get all kinds of weird names, you know, uh, trying to do that. Um, Other people really sensationalize it. They say, well, okay, obviously this is a barcode, you know, or a chip implanted. Uh, The truth of the matter is, folks, we don't know. I I cannot tell you today what it is. Uh, And I'm perfectly comfortable with saying I don't know because nobody knows, all right? And it's a mystery to us. I think when it happens, then we will know. We'll go, oh, yeah, that's what it is. But think about it this way, okay? Just, uh, Just kind of backing off it. Think about it this way. If the number seven means completion, which we do know that it means completion, there's sevens all the way through the book of Revelation, right? Everywhere you turn, there's some seven of something. If the number seven means completion, and if 777 will mean complete, 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 or totally, ultimately, completely complete, then six would represent incomplete. 666 six, six would be incomplete, incomplete, incomplete. Or lacking, lacking, lacking. Or not enough, not enough, not enough. And I believe that is how God will see every person who takes on this symbol, this mark. You have fallen short. You, you're, whatever works you have are not enough. And this is nothing new. Uh, Rev, uh, Romans three twenty three for all have sin and fallen short of the glory of God right? That without Christ, we, we have no works to make us acceptable to God. So how then should we live in this world uh, in light of this? Uh, I was traveling back this week from Nashville and Uh, The guy sitting next to me popped open his laptop and started playing some kind of apocalyptic movie. I don't even know. I didn't recognize it. Uh, But it's, you know, they're fighting the robots, you know. And and all these movies, you know, there's a whole genre of them. And they all kind of end up the same, right? There's this underground resistance movement that's going to revolt against the evil empire and overthrow it. That's how all these movies go. But is that what John tells us to do in these last days? Are we about revolution and revolt and underground uh, resistance? Well, look look at Revelation 13, verse 10. He said, this calls for endurance and faithfulness from the saints. That is, from Christians. What God is looking for in these days is endurance and faithfulness. Endurance means to stand under the load, to stand under the pressure. That when the pressure comes that you are to stand under it and to endure it and not to quit. To endure in prayer, to endure in patience, to endure in hope that Christ is coming again. To endure. Are you one that endures? Are you one that quits? When the pressure is on, are you going to be like, whoop? I'm tapping out, man. I was, just all, I was just here for my better life now. I wasn't here for this. I didn't sign up for that. Are you one that like quits? Or are you one that says, I will stand under the pressure and be known as a follower of Jesus. Endurance. And then he said faithfulness. Faithfulness to Jesus. Faithfulness to the gospel. In these days, and even in our day, we need to be faithful to Jesus and to the gospel. And I really believe this starts at home. If you're raising children in a home, grandkids even in a home, man, we gotta train our kids to know Christ, to know God's word, to be able to have courage to take their stand even when no one agrees with them. I mean, we can't raise kids and pat them on the head and say, well, as long as everybody likes you, you're gonna be all right. No, 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 we have to have We have to have a generation that's willing to stand against the winds of the culture and plant their feet on the gospel of Jesus Christ. And that starts with mom and dads training up their children, having intentional conversations. It starts at home and then it radiates from home to your office and to your school and to your neighborhood and to the areas of your influence where you are radiating the hope of Jesus in the gospel. That's how we are to respond. That's how the saints are to respond, endurance and faithfulness. I said at the beginning that heaven sees only two groups of people, right? Those who belong to Jesus and those who do not. And so when you look at Revelation 13, those who belong to Jesus, when, when you see Revelation 13, there's some encouragement in here because, hey, if you belong to Jesus, it says your name is written in the Lamb's book of life. <laughs> there's security. There's hope in that. If you're a believer, you know that God has limited evil to only a certain amount of time. And he will bring it to a swift end. If you are a follower of Jesus, then when you read Revelation 13, we don't stream back in fear, but we we stand firm in endurance and patience and faithfulness, trusting God every step along the way. But listen, if you do not belong to Jesus and you read Revelation 13, it's a wake-up call because there is no hope outside of Jesus. There is no peace outside of Jesus. And so do you know him? Right now, while we're in a season of grace, right now, while we're in a season of God's mercy, right now, while you can literally sit here and hear the gospel preach you and you can respond, now's the time to respond to him. Why don't you bow your heads with me for just a minute? Uh, The gospel is very clear. The Bible says that God created us to know him and to glorify him but we have rebelled against God, we've gone our own way, we've gone our own way. And the wages of sin is death, the Bible says. But in our waywardness, God sent Jesus Christ His first coming, born as a baby in a manger. He walked among us. He went to a cross, and on that cross, he suffered the wrath of God, and on that cross for our sin, he took on our sin, our shame, our guilt, our waywardness, our wickedness, our rebellion. He took it on himself, and he died in our place. What love the Father has for us. That he offered up his only son as a sacrifice. And Jesus was buried on the third day. He rose again from the dead and he showed himself alive over a 40 day period to hundreds of people. And he ascended to the right hand of the Father and he's coming again. And he said, All who turn to me in, in faith will be saved from the wrath that's coming. So here's the question Have you placed your faith in Jesus? Do you know for sure that you're right with God? If I were to ask you, when was a moment you were changed by Jesus Christ, could you go to that place and tell me that? And if not, then today is your day. Now is the time for you to turn to Jesus. Our only hope. So I'm gonna ask you now, if you, if you wanna receive Christ, then I'm gonna ask you just to lift up your hand. I'm gonna call you out, but I'll see your hand and I'll lead you in a prayer right where you're seated to pray to receive Christ. If you're here today, you say, Pastor, I need Jesus. I need to be right with God. I don't know for sure, but I wanna know for sure. You can know, you can know that you're saved. And it starts with calling on Him in in faith. So just lift up your hand right now. Pastor, pray for me. I need Christ in my life. I I wanna know for sure that I'm right with God. Pastor, pray for me. I'm not sure, okay, thank you, thank you. I'm not sure, but I wanna be sure. Lift up your hand, Pastor, I, I wanna know. I wanna be right with God. I don't want to be found lacking, lacking, lacking when I stand before him. Lift up your hand, anybody else? Pastor, pray for me. God's moving in my heart. Okay, put your hand down. Just pray this simple prayer with me. Dear Lord, I know I've sinned against you. I know I've gone my own way, but I believe Jesus died on the cross for me and I believe he rose again from the dead and I believe he's coming again. And so I'm asking you, please forgive me. Please wash me clean, make me new. I place my trust and my hope in Jesus alone. And Lord, I choose to follow you all the days of my life. Thank you for your great love for me. Father, I thank you for your word today. I thank you how relevant it is, how how clear it is to us, Lord. Help us to have wisdom and discernment, as your scripture says, to discern the the signs of the times, to be courageous, to endure, to be faithful in our season that you planted us. Lord, thank you that you set the limits. Lord, thank you that you're sovereign over it all. Thank you that our hope is found in you, Jesus, Satan doesn't win, that evil doesn't win, that you are hope and you will make all things right again. And so we long for your coming and we pray this in Jesus' name. And all God's people said, Amen.